0: it's time for cover two broncos just a couple dudes breaking down scheme film and the numbers now your host joe rowles
2: welcome back to another episode of cover two broncos i am joe rowles and today we welcome back jeff esri welcome back
0: and i'm jeff esri what's up y'all
2: and today we are welcoming a special guest, AJ Schulte from Mile High Report. Thanks for joining us, man.
1: Hey, I'm I'm glad to be here. But, uh, I think this is my first episode with Jeff, so I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh it should be, should be a lot of fun. We've got quite a lot to talk about.
2: Yeah, a lot has happened since the last time I talked to you, Jeff. And AJ. Honestly, like Fanji was out. As honestly the guts I gotta kinda have to start there, I think. Uh The Broncos, after playing, I think, the third easiest schedule in football, finished with a 7-10 record. Uh, Looks like basically everybody's going to be gone, or almost everybody's going to be gone. Uh, The ownership dilemma is kind of hanging over everything. Uh, I'm going to spare our dear listeners my concerns about ownership just because it's so early in finding out who's going to be the owner that all we're really doing is, you know, casting hopes and or fears on the situation but the reality there is the broncos look like they will be sold hopefully it's a good owner um as things start to become a little bit more clear we will probably go over that a little bit more but the big thing we're kind of on the mindset of talking about today first of all Fangio's out new candidates are coming in but i want to start here what went wrong with this year like really
0: like if, how much time do we have? Yeah. How, let, let how start long with are we that. gonna go it, here?
1: Let me, let me start it with it this. might be easier. It might be easier to talk about what went right versus <laughs> what went wrong.
2: <laughs> I think a better way to frame it might be in what ways did this year's Broncos team disappoint relative to expectations before the year started? Because Jeff, you and I talked about back in training camp, the quarterback room with what it ended up being, as far back as August, we basically said if everything breaks, right, they might be a playoff team, but they're like a one and done playoff team is what we expected back in August. And they fell short of that. Injuries obviously played a factor, but are are we surprised that they finished seven and 10, I guess is a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you kind of hit it on the head in terms of the way that we were talking about it last year was if everything breaks, right, this is what could happen. And I think what we experienced this year is everything kind of staying the same or like, I want to say worst case scenario because we still finished seven and 10, but it was probably like,
2: it was disappointing. We both agree that it was, if everything breaks, right. They're a playoff team, but things did not necessarily break. Right. Things kind of broke even in a lot of ways. Like basically the quarterback room to me lived up to expectations. Uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater pretty handedly looked like the best quarterback we've seen since at least Trevor Simeon. I would say better than Trevor Simeon. It wasn't good enough. I don't think anybody expected it to be good enough to like really push them forward. I thought my expectation was if Teddy Bridgewater steps in, does what I hope he can do. And the defense is as good as I think it can be. And we just kind of deal with the special teams being a shit show. They're a playoff team.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the things that we didn't potentially foresee coming is, I mean, obviously the Von Miller trade threw a wrench in the defense. Right. And then just the health overall. I mean, I think the the health overall on the defensive side kind of threw a wrench in things early on. And that's what we were counting on to like everyone staying healthy, gelling together another year in the system. Um, but I think, outside of that, there wasn't any like major surprises. I mean, I thought, you know, Sertan played really well. I thought, I thought we got a lot of really good play from the draft, you know, um, from all of the draft picks across the board. But I think the, you know, kind of the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of a season that you would expect, like people falling out on defense and all of that, can't be mitigated by mediocre quarterback play. And that's kind of where we landed, right? And we knew that going in, is that everything would have to hit right for us to have a shot based on who was under center and what was happening on offense. But I think, you know, we went in expecting to have a decent run game for Melvin Gordon and, you know, Williams to perform well. And so I don't know that there was – really anything super surprising about this year. It was disappointing for sure, but not surprising.
1: <laughs> Where do you yeah, land on AJ? I, I think I think another thing on the offensive side was
0: you had a lot of
1: regression on the offensive line. Really. I mean like yeah. Garrett Bowles Garrett Bowles kind of just was average. Um yeah Dalton Reisner. I I I personally my personal theory is I think Reisner got hurt in the off season because you just don't have play strengths just sat like that. Um, and then they kind of had a lot of injuries. You know, Graham Glasgow, uh, both right tackles. Um, and then Reisner obviously was hurt as well as missing missing games at some point. Cushenberry missed in COVID protocols, I believe. And yep. the game against the Raiders and Schlottman had to play. And that was a that was a total mismatch against Darius Filon. But also, I think another thing that really stood out to me in negative is like Noah Fant and a lot of the offensive weapons almost didn't live up. To, like I think Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jared Judy played well for for the most part, but they lost KJ Hamler early, and they did they didn't have that kind of speed guy anymore. They didn't have anybody dynamic quite like KJ Hamler left um, on the roster, and then Noah Fant. And that whole tight end room really just had some like baffling penalties. There was some, there were a lot of drops, like and, and that that kills a lot of offensive momentum. And, and to me, like I think on both sides of the ball, like the trench play was just not there this year, and and that ultimately doomed him in a lot of critical games.
2: And to me, the supporting cast, the supporting cast, uh, the supporting cast uh, Noah Fant, AJ uh, Alberto that kind of stuff. I, I, to me, and again, maybe I need to go back and review it all still, but to me, that more than anything was really the damning part with Shermer is that the quarterback, like we knew the quarterback play was going to be subpar. Everybody on Twitter likes to do this whole thing where I'm like, ai I guess I'm like the chief of the Teddy Bridgewater fan club, just because I at no point had doubts that he was the starting quarterback of the Broncos, but I never thought he was going to be good. I thought he was going to be good enough. And, but, for him to be actually able to score points and stuff like that, you needed the coordinator really meet him on the things that he does well. And I just didn't think Shermer did that. And it, and honestly kind of reaffirmed what I thought Shermer was doing with Locke the year before is Shermer runs his offense. And it took like 10 games before he started to say, Oh yeah, Drew lock is best rolling out to his write-off play action. We should do that more. And it, it felt like a lot of the similar problem with Bridgewater this year is asking Teddy Bridgewater to drop back and throw 20, 30 yards downfield is not his game. And it just felt like Shermer really struggled to adapt to that. And then when Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler got hurt, by all means, like every, every sign is pointing, why don't you use your tight ends more? And instead the Broncos suddenly went to 11 heavy. George Payton had to try and sign David Moore off of the practice squad of the Raiders. Then he had to try and sign John Brown off the practice squad Like. It became the situation where it was like, why are we doing this when you have the personnel to adapt if only the coordinator will do so? And that, to me, was probably yeah. the most damning thing that Shermer went through this year. And the red zone offense just never took off. It looked like crap all year.
0: Well, I would yeah. I would add, too, I agree with you and agree with what you're saying, too, AJ, in terms of Noah Fan underperforming. But I would say, and this is, you know, we're not talking – we're talking macro, and so I won't hammer this too much. But I think – Noah Fant, since he's been drafted, has underperformed, right? And, you know, we probably have a whole other deep dive episode about that specifically. But I think a lot of what he put on tape this last year specifically, and in, in an you can blame it on Shermer as well for maybe not featuring him as much, but, I mean, he saw almost 80% of the snaps. And so, you know, he was in there and had the opportunity to make an impact. And I just haven't seen it from him, particularly, you know, in terms of getting open and um, – I think he's still weak at the catch point. And that was things that were, you know, as he was coming out of the draft um, and that's what you need from a red zone weapon too. And so I think, you know, Noah Fant potentially directly correlates with some of our red zone woes as well, because that's what you, uh, that's what you drafted him for essentially. And so um, yeah, it was an underperformance on guys that I thought we expected could potentially take another step. I mean, I would, I would put Bradley Chubb in there too, another high draft pick that, has been underperforming and not necessarily by fault of Chubb, but I mean, he only saw 25% of the snaps this past year. Right. And so we went into the year expecting, okay, if we can see Von Miller and Bradley Chubb together, finally, then we could have the defense that we think that we could have under Vic Fangio. And instead Von Miller is shipped out by what, what week was it? Like it was halfway through the season. Right. Yeah. Von Miller's traded. Time. Yep. Yeah. And, and Bradley Chubb sees 25% of the snaps. And so, I mean, I think, you can look at that with mix the things that you saw. We just talked about on an offense and it's pretty clear why we ended up seven and 10 and you know why Vic Fangio doesn't have a job anymore.
1: Yeah. And another, I, they've got to decide on Vance fifth year option here soon, right? It's this off season. It's off season. And, and I want to say
2: to me, there's two parts to that. I, I agree with you. I do think that the coordinator situation does play a role in Fant being underperforming along with the quarterback room. That doesn't obviously take him off the hook at all or like altogether. But I do think that there's enough evidence of a tight end developing into year four. And that's like where the breakout happens that I'm not ready to give up on him by any means. I know fans, yeah. some fans are ready to, you know, ship him out of town, all this stuff. I think that's a little bit hurried. Uh, but I get it. I definitely get the disappointment to this point because. He's one of the most athletic tight ends ever in draft history. And part of it, like, he, he struggled at the catch point coming out of Iowa. So it's not a huge surprise that that continues to be an issue. I agree with you that that is definitely a thing, but the Broncos coordinator situation, like I, and I think like looking back at Fangio's run as a head coach, like really summarizing it so we can kind of move forward with this to me, it's a process issue. Uh, the Broncos hired Vic Fangio. The Broncos at that point wanted to hire Gary Kubiak to be the offensive coordinator. Kubiak wanted to import his assistance, and then the Broncos didn't want to bring in Rick Dennison to replace Mike Munchak, so they said no to Kubiak, and then they turned and brought in Rich Gangarello, which was fine. But like obviously there was butting heads throughout the season, and Jeff, you and I will remember this because we recorded an episode, and then Rich Gangarello was fired within the the day of us recording it. We had to re-record. But that whole thing fell apart, and then they turned around and hired Shermer. Well, they drafted Drew Locke for Scangarello's offense. They drafted Noah Fant in theory for Rich Scangarello's offense, and then all well, of a sudden they moved say, to Shermer.
0: Yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, if you're the Teddy. Bridgewater, you know, fan club owner than than I'm probably the Rich Scangarello one. Um, you know, from from people's perception, right? Yeah. Um, but I will say Noah Fant performed a lot better from what we saw on tape in Rich Scangarello's offense, particularly okay. in a lot of those that play action game, a little bit of even some of the RPO game. Um, I really liked what they were trying to do yeah. with Fant in Rich Scangarello's offense than Pat Sherman.
2: And and I and I want to say I was very optimistic about Fant Schirmer's offense because I thought he could be essentially like an Eric Ebron, and it never happened.
0: Like they, even they, though Pat Shermer did really well with Evan Ingram,
2: yeah, Evan Ingram, yeah.
0: but
1: yeah, I I think to me what was what was kind of telling was, and I don't even don't want to say telling, but it was kind of weird how there would just be waves where Shermer would remember that he had Fant, and then it would just be oh, that was cool that one play, we'll never run it again. Like like they had success at the end of the year with those like leaks and routes, over routes, going over the middle of the field with Bant. And they were just like, Okay, we called it once. That's fine. That's all we need. Like it it was just really weird. And so I think that pre- presents a dilemma for Peyton in the front office this offseason. I, and he did lose, I believe he lost his mom in yeah, the off season. So like like that's gonna be a struggle for for anybody. Um and, and I don't I mean are you know, not being obviously critical. We still believe in, in Fant and everything like that. Um, but I think what's most important for Noah Fant is that we saw Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick just running like nine routes into oblivion, like all the all game. Like it was just it was, oh it's it's third down. You're either gonna run a curl or you're just gonna run a nine. And they still extended Sutton. Like, because I think in theory they were thinking, okay, with this next offense, with the new offense, with a new quarterback. This will pay off dividends. And I, so I think moving forward, that's an important note for fans: is that if they pick it up, they're saying, yeah, with our ne- with our next offensive coordinator, with our next quarterback, we still believe in his potential.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: Well, and I think it gets to, and this leads us into that the next piece probably of the conversation is it gets to what you you talked about Joe it's a process issue I think at its core right is you've had overlapping head coaches offensive coordinators quarterbacks and there hasn't ever been you know and I think the calls to blow it up and start over you know like for as much as that noise has been out there right I think the the impetus of that call is so that there's a clean slate so everybody can start to get on the same timeline at least right so we're not we're not overlapping a coach who didn't hire his coordinator who didn't draft his quarterback and we're just you know we're we're, um, playing whack-a-mole with issues right and so I think part of what's encouraging about this offseason is you're potentially able to go in and hire a head coach new offensive coordinator and I hope they damn well address the quarterback position at the same time right So it's all lined up and then you can actually evaluate it holistically, which we haven't been able to do for the last three or four years.
2: And that's the one area where my fears about ownership kind of like, I can't, I can't slow that down because George Payton is going to have to hire a new head coach probably before February. I'm assuming the Broncos at this point are going for sale and a new owner will not be approved by March at the earliest. So, and, and that was one of the other reasons why I had a hard time. I kept going back and forth on this with Peyton and firing Fangio. If Peyton was going to keep Fangio and again, he said he was the best coach he's ever been around, but if, if Peyton was going to keep Fangio at that point, he owns it for the new owner. So all of a sudden if the new owner comes in, the Broncos struggle with the same issues that we've seen for, you know, three years, that could be Peyton's job at that point, because the new owner might not care. You're on a four more, you know, four years left on your contract. Uh, but I agree with you. I do think that this is the closest thing we're going to get to everybody kind of ending up on the same timeline. And I do hope that the process for the head coaching search is better than what we saw last time around. Um, and that kind of brings us to our next topic, I think, obviously, and this is the one that I think a lot of people are really keen on is where do you guys land on the coaching search? Uh, and I want to want to say say it like that because there are 10 candidates, uh, and I'll read those off. It's uh, Chiefs Offensive Coordinator, Eric Bienemy, Cowboys Defensive Coordinator and ex-Falcons Head Coach, Dan Quinn. Packers Offensive Coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. Eagles Defensive Coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. Pat's Inside Linebacker Coach, Gerard Mayo. Cowboys Offensive Coordinator, Kellen Moore. Rams Offensive Coordinator, Kevin O'Connell. Lions Defensive Coordinator, Aaron Glenn. Packers Quarterback Coach, Lo Getze. And then Bengals, uh, Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, uh, and, and I just want to say before I you know kind of leave it open to you guys, the one thing that I can't ignore with this process is first of all there's ten candidates, but Dan Quinn is the only head coach, or former head coach, and that that to me does when he's so heavily favored that does kind of like stand out to me. But where do you guys land on the coaching search? What are you kind of a, what are you guys thinking with it?
0: go for it aj oh
1: okay um i love the fact that they aren't going after a lot of failed coaches only just the one just the one um I, I i personally i hate the nfl hiring process of constantly recycling i mean look at the jaguars it's like bill o'brien is the favorite candidate right now like that's how you end up being bad it's just constantly every year is just poorly run process but i love the fact that they are going after young. They're going after guys who are ready to prove and high energy. Every, everything that stands out about a lot of the young candidates is they are high energy, their leadership, there's proven development under them. Like these guys may be not ready right now, but if they have to go through another head coaching search in the near future, they've already, they've already got an inroad with that, you know? So I, I, and I think. To me, that every, every almost every almost every candidate I will say almost every candidate checks off the boxes that Peyton is looking for, and the fact that he is constantly interviewing people and casting such a wide net across the league, I think that's very, I think that's important. And, and like, yeah, you could kind of I, I get the concern with a head coaching experience. I certainly I certainly get that, but I think the fact that he's like everything he's looking for and the way he's handling this process is I think better than what every other franchise looking for a head coach is doing right now.
0: One thing I'll add too about the, to your point, AJ, on the energy and, um, you know, the the youth is there's at least two and I'm at no three now with Kellen Moore. um there's three former players that have played within the last decade-ish. Well, let's see. Aaron Glenn was 2008, right? He retired in 2008. But you know, you got Aaron Glenn from the Lions. You've got Gerard Mayo, who was obviously the linebacker for the Patriots during all their Super Bowl years, and then Kellen Moore. And I may be missing one or two that you know, were more recent players, too. But that's at least three that came right out of playing in the NFL to coaching, which I think is really interesting.
1: I think O'Connell played – he did. I think he he was a he yeah he was a he was a third round pick in two thousand eight.
2: Yep, and and so I wanna... he
1: went. He was around for a while and then was hired. Twenty fifteen rounds was that under Shanahan? I want to say yes. And no, no, because no, no, no. Shanahan Shanahan went to Dan Quinn. That was Mike Pittman's first. Cheered the Browns. He was their quarterbacks coach under Mike Pettine. Who's the offensive coordinator? Double checking. So John, De- John Filippo.
2: One one thing that stands out to me, and this is, and I know, as a head coach, they might not necessarily be bringing the the exact system that they are leaving, but if you look at their backgrounds, uh, one of the things that really stands out to me about the candidates is just how varied they really are. Uh, Eric B background. He comes from a West coast type system with Andy Reid's air raid type stuff kind of mixed in. Uh, you have Hackett, Callahan and O'Connell all kind of come from like a Kubiak, Shanahan, McVeigh type tree. Uh, and I kind of think that that could be good. If the Broncos do plan to keep drew Locke around as, you know, a competition slash veteran bridge type guy, because again, that's what he was drafted for. Uh, and then you look at more Moore obviously kind of stands out as somebody who doesn't necessarily even have a tree. Uh, just because he went right from playing to qb coach to oc so fast but then on the defense it's the same thing dan quinn is a seattle style cover three slash like rush four defense uh aaron glenn aaron glenn's weird but uh gerard mayo comes from belichick and basically his whole background is rooted in belichick but that means like philosophically it's a three four system a lot of man principles a lot of single high um, and again, Aaron Glenn is weird just because Aaron Glenn has played for Greg Robinson, Bill Belichick and Mike Zimmer. He's coached under Dennis Allen. Um, and then obviously like he only has been a play caller for one year with the lions and the lions are such a mess as, as far as talent. I don't know necessarily that we we know what he's going to be as a head coach based well, on what he did with the lions.
1: I could tell you like what his, his philosophy is going to, or in theory, it was going to be pretty similar to the Fangio kind of stuff like that's why they hired Don Cape Don Capers. that's why they hired Aubrey Pleasant from the Rams right like they were all familiar with the, like the Fangio Staley kind of stuff so that that in theory was the design obviously with the injuries and everything that they had pop up then and then they were starting I think they started like three undrafted free agents a corner mm-hmm. this year at some point and all of them were good that's what that's what was was, was telling to me is that like Guys like Jerry Jacobs was a standout, like until he got hurt, I think in the Broncos game, um, and then AJ Parker, guys like that. Like in theory, that's what Aaron Glenn was supposed to do. Uh, so I, I, I can answer
0: that. I, was gonna say, I think it's interesting what um, the point you mentioned, Joe, on the kind of broad brush. Broad- a little bit. It goes to some of George Payton's comments at the press conference, right? He was, was hammering home leadership and even said, like, I don't care if they call plays. So it, it, like they're not necessarily drafting for, or drafting, you know, pulling in coaches for scheme necessarily. It feels like they're pulling in qualities and then proven performance, right? Like the other thing that stands out to me is you look across this list and New England Patriots are known for their defense, right? And you have the rest of the offensive guys, we're all in very successful uh, systems and put up very successful numbers. You know, the Bengals and what they've done. Um, obviously, you have the Rams. You've got the Chiefs. You've got the Packers. You've got the Cowboys. Like, it's the who's who of the NFL offense, that you know, this past year, right? And then um, I think the Eagles had a pretty good defense under under Gannon, and it certainly came on at the end of the year. And so you have guys that are proven within whatever respective scheme they are in and I will say this about Dan Quinn: I was really impressed by what he did in Dallas this past year because a lot of people expected him to stick to that kind of Seattle cover three, and he completely adapted his defense to the the, the players that he had um, and ran a lot more uh, AJ said, I, I watch a lot of Cowboys stuff, so I may have missed it, but um, he adapted it a lot more than I thought he would. Right? So it didn't look as, ne- as necessarily like the the Falcons' defense or the Seattle defense. Ran a lot more, um, you know, whether it's cover four sort of, or shell yeah. coverages and things like that. More, they ran a lot quarters. of man too. Yeah, a lot yeah. more man. And,
2: yeah. and I, and I want to mention because Aaron Glenn too, uh, I know he went from the Lions, and, I, and a lot of Broncos fans are kind of down on Aaron Glenn because he's coming from the Lions. Every Detroit fan I have talked to is terrified. Everything at, is terrified yeah. at the idea of losing Glenn because of how much better they were than expectations with the talent they had on hand. I, Uh, It had been coming up. I live in Michigan. So, like, I've been hearing about this all year. And when we went, you know, when Denver went to play Detroit, I was studying them. And it even to me, like, there is clear talent deficiencies across their lineup, but they played hard and they surprise you.
1: And and listen, if you want high energy and leadership, my God, Dan Campbell has that in spades. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Like, Dan Campbell, I I would love to play for him. Like, like just, just his, his approach. Give me every little bit of that, right? Like, give me some fun, you know, like that to me, but another thing that stands out about another candidate, um, I, I think I mentioned this in the profile piece with Hackett was he's not kind of somewhat like Dan Quinn, where he's not going to just stick with one thing. Like he, one year when he was at Syracuse during the summer it was like two weeks before the season started like the offense was looking like crap in the off season. so two weeks before the season started he just completely revamped the offense totally changed it to i believe like kind of like a k-gun offense way back with the bills and and they had success i mean it did it set passing records set all sorts of things and that parlayed into his going to uh, following marone into the nfl and like that to me that willingness to adapt it's important and especially especially when we're trying to get the quarterback situation right yeah that that to me adapting to your personnel from the top down that says a lot and the fact that everybody in green bay raves about him like everybody there's not a single soul that doesn't just and it's even in buffalo Eric Wood has talked constantly about how good Hack it is, uh, and, but like you're seeing all of these things across the board. Like we keep talking about it, like that energy, that leadership. I, I think Peyton wanted a little bit of a shift from Fangio, and that's not to say Fangio wasn't a leader. But if you're th- if you're thinking of high energy, I, I, that that to me doesn't sound like Fangio.
2: Well, you know? and I remember back when Fangio was hired. There was there was a lot of talk about like leading up to him coming in because again we had and again i i speak for broncos country but i think most of us had high hopes for what he was going to do with the defense and obviously injuries played a part in that but i never really left seasons with the broncos thinking that the defense didn't do what they could to maximize the talent but i always yeah. had issues about game management and i always had issues with the offense and leading back to like what Fancho's expertise was, I think he proved that he knows the hell he's doing on defense. And I think whoever hires him, don't be surprised if that defense turns around very quickly, but the hope is obviously in Denver that because it kind of became like a silo, like he's leading the defense, Pat Shermer's in charge of the offense. I don't think that's what Peyton wanted going forward. And so the hope is probably whoever's coming in as the head coach is going to be somebody who can kind of lead all facets of the organization. Uh so that's that's kind of like what I'm thinking they're going into. I know a lot of people heard Peyton say that at the presser and immediately said, Oh, it's Dan Quinn, but it's not like the other candidates. There's other candidates on this list who do bring that quality as well.
0: Yeah, and and just to to reiterate that on the Fangio piece, look, like I have a ton of respect for Vic Fangio Same. and think he's a heck of a football coach, right? And the things that he's done on the defensive side of the ball is great, but I think and I said this in the, I think in the mile high report chat a week or two ago is like every, every criticism that you have about Vic Fangio all falls under the head coach and every like praise that you have about Vic Fangio all falls under like defensive coordinator responsibilities. Right. So, I mean, he's essentially been a glorified defensive coordinator as a head coach for the last several years. And that's not a knock on Vic Fangio at all, but just like in terms of the role that he's been playing, the things that you would say Vic Fangio does well and has, has done well with the Broncos he could have done as a defensive coordinator and the deficiencies have been all on the head coach side and so in that respect like I agree with the decision to let him move on he'll be an incredible defensive coordinator somewhere and you bring in a guy that you know has purview over everything and you can evaluate him holistically on everything because people were really I think I mean kind of giving Vic Fangio a bit of a pass of like oh he's a defensive guy. But let's put the heat on Shermer for the offense. So well, no, the buck stops with you. Like if that offense is not running, then you know, ultimately, yeah, ultimately you're the head coach. And so I think that's, that's what we need is someone who manages that holistically across the board.
2: It's easy to say yeah. this now, but it kind of leads me thinking what if Kubiak would have joined because Kubiak could have essentially just been a head coach on offense while, and again, like, you know, we can do the what if game forever, but it is kind of I- I- interesting to think about because I know that that was kind of the original plan from Elway. Is to essentially bring in Kubiak on offense, Fangio on defense. It probably would have worked a lot better than what happened.
0: Um, I think that's what they were trying to do with Shermer because he had head yeah. coaching experience, right? And it just didn't it didn't pan it's out. Just, but I think it was pretty it's, clear.
1: It's just that Shermer was was bad everywhere. Like <laughs> just,
2: they hired the wrong they hired it's, the wrong guy to lead the it, offense.
1: Head, head, head coaching experience only matters if it's good head coaching yeah. experience. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I think with I think with Fangio. Like the ultimate credit to, to in my mind with Fangio, and I think the best thing he did was maximizing talent on defense. And we I mean, like trying to do what he did this year without with, virtually with no pass rush. Yep. Right. You had Von, Von Miller. Von Miller was kind of a little bit banged up every every year, or not every year, excuse me, for every game. Um, and then they traded him, and Bradley Chubb missed a whole chunk of the season. They had to rely on Jonathan Cooper. Malik who, who's Reed. solid and, and Malik Reed? who, yeah, um, <laughs> Malik Reed. Um, And Like, they just had no pass rush, and the interior defensive line was just not good either. They struggled defending to run. And then, but, like, about week eight, once you saw Baron Browning step in, like, everything kind of started to gel and click a little bit better. But, like, they're proven, like, they got blood from a stone to me, like with, with the amount of turnover and injuries they had that this to me, I think was Fangio's most impressive season. That's what makes
2: me really nervous about this whole process going forward is just because if whoever they bring in does not get the defense, right. And they don't have an, a big enough, like, depending on what they do at quarterback, they might not have the resources to spend a ton on the defense this year, but the defense actually needs a lot of help. I know everybody thinks. Fangio was bad. He didn't do enough. It's like, no guys, Bradley Chubb has been hurt three, like the last three years, Bradley Chubb has had a lower body injury. Malik Reed does not look like he's going to be a clean fit in every system going forward. Von Miller is gone. Like at this point, edge is a first round need. That's why the Broncos tried to trade up for Jalen Phillips last year because George Payton knew that this was going to happen. Well, not every part of it, but he knew that this was kind of coming. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Like we may very well see them take a big step back on defense unless Peyton finds the right pieces and the right coaches in place, uh, the whole pass doesn't happen or the offense is better to make up for it.
1: Yeah. And you have to account for changing personnel priorities, right? Like if, if they want to go towards say a Dan Quinn hire, which we can talk about that more in depth, but like they would need to improve linebackers. They need, they need to vastly improve the pass rush because like, he's really only been good when he's had a pass rush. So like that, they have to figure that out because they don't have one. Like Vic Fangio was the reason why Malik Reed did a lot of anything because he doesn't win one-on-one a whole lot. So let's look at the roster.
0: Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Just to put a point on that quickly is when you look at the roster and your point on Vic Fangio kind of making um, squeezing blood out of a stone a little bit is the only player on the front seven, the entire front seven throughout the season that had more than 60% of the snaps was Malik Reed. Yeah. Everybody else was in and out. I mean, Shelby Harris had 50 ish percent. Draymond Jones had 56 and it falls off from there. Right. And so there was just zero consistency on the roster from a front seven standpoint.
1: Yeah. And then and the fact that like, like they would just target Malik Reed, like I can't I get the Philly game, out of my head when they would just motion the bat to whichever side (laughs) and then then they would just run right at him like all game and and to me like when you have uh, like you have with Peyton Peyton scouted first for Fangio and they built the roster it structured it that way that's why they went Sertan that's why they went Baron Browning like as soon as Baron Browning was picked we were like that's a Fangio pick and now you have to turn around and do a whole different style of, of scouting for different personnel if you hire a different philosophy it, it, I mean you'd have to do that anyways because not everybody's going to be exactly like Fangio but that's it's just another constant shift maybe they're kind of kind of hoping a new hire that's like aligned you know like this is what we need to we're going to build it this way and kind of go for it from there but I think that's the scouting part of it, I think, is another reason why they're going after young guys, yep. right? Is so that they have, if he hits, he'll be around for a while. And so as a front office, they can tailor and adjust to his scheme and everything like that. They don't have to constantly shuffle around. Like, Fangio is 63. Like, I think his age played a little bit of a factor in the decision. Is it fair? Probably not. But if you look at their list of coordinators, like a lot of them were in their thirties or in their candidates, like they're all young. So I think it played a part.
2: So I want to touch,
1: I want to move towards Dan Quinn first,
2: and then we'll kind of move, you know, going from there just because Vegas does have Dan Quinn as the favorite for the Broncos job. Uh, basically everywhere I've looked has had him as the favorite for the Broncos job. Um, At this point, I want to say, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but just about every insider has also basically said Dan Quinn is the favorite uh, or like some variation of that. Uh, I know a lot of people in Broncos country are basically acting like he's going to get it. And I know, again, he is the only coach who has previous head coaching experience. And as far back as 2015, uh, when Dan Quinn left Seattle to take the Atlanta job, there was a lot of reports about him trying to recruit George Payton to join him as his GM then. So they have a relationship. Um, He was on the original short list of Fangio replacements in October. So I I think it's fair to treat him like the favorite. And then maybe the Broncos are interviewing the other nine to see if, you know, they like somebody better. Um, Maybe that's, I think that's part of the reason why I feel like I'm kind of skeptical. And I want to be honest, like I can see the good and the bad with Dan Quinn. Um, And I think part of that is because he was a head coach and a coordinator. So like that, I think that also plays a role in this. But when he's been a coordinator, he has been very good. Uh, his previous uh, stop with the Seattle Seahawks, his first year as the coordinator, they were first in DVOA. They allowed the fewest points and yards in the league. They led the NFL in takeaways. All the, that stuff, that's the first time a team had done that since 1985 with the Chicago Bears. Uh, obviously, yeah, they, they stopped the- Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. So like his run with the Seattle Seahawks was very good. And then obviously, yeah. Jeff, you can speak to this. What he's done in Dallas is pretty remarkable. Um, I, I knew that he was going to be an upgrade over Mike Nolan, but I did not think that they would finish the league second or finish the year second in DVOA. And Micah Parsons looks like he could compete for Depoy. Um, they look very good under him.
0: Yeah, and I would say just from his stint in in Dallas and you know, a little bit with I think his kind of style under Pete Carroll as well as that high energy feel too. Right. And you've talked about it, AJ, and I think Dan Quinn fits that. And I think the things that he brought to Dallas, aside from just the schematic side was also some cohesion and leadership on the defensive side that Dallas hasn't had, you know, and I've watched a lot of Cowboys, you know, over the last several years and that's been one of their biggest issues. It's not necessarily been talent. It's been, you know, talent in the secondary for sure. Um, but I think from a coaching standpoint just the way that they fly to the ball, the way that they force turnovers now, the way that they um you know I think they're in better shape than the offense is in terms of penalties and, and all of those things that typically plague a cowboy team. And so I think a guy like Dan Quinn bring brought that to them and so I think you know those are the types of things that you look for in head coaching as opposed to just Hey, he brought this scheme or, or something like that is what kind of discipline did he get out of his players? Did he turn around a side of the ball within a year? And we see that both in Seattle and in Dallas.
2: And I want to say to yeah. to that point, when I talked to uh, Mike Tannenbaum uh, yet two days ago now, for those of you listening, he couldn't like he spoke very glowingly of Dan Quinn, the person. Uh, and again, like I, I'm not to say, you know, the other guys are bad people. Uh, but Mike knew him from like them working together. And he said that he's one of the most genuine people he's ever worked around. And he's one of those guys that just never really seems to have a bad day. And maybe that's what Peyton's looking for.
0: we dude, going do on Dan Quinn as the person is apparently, and I need to find the source so we can like dig into the actual story of it. But, you know, Kellen Moore is also on the interviewing circuit, right? And he's a peer of Dan Quinn's as the offensive coordinator of the Cowboys. He's apparently been giving Kellen Moore like, head coaching interview tips because he was a head coach. Like he's been pulling Kellamore under his wing. Hey, let me help you prep all of that. And to me, it just kind of speaks to the the, the type of person he is, especially when they could yeah. be competing for the same jobs, if they're looking for head jobs.
2: So my concerns, and I think you agree with me, AJ here, this is, because uh, I, w- I want to be the asshole before I, you know, meet you and me become the assholes. My concerns center on Dan Quinn's run with the Falcons. And that's, yeah. Again, no other candidate has this so that like, we have to kind of keep that part in mind for Broncos fans, but at the same time, like you can't ignore it. And I think like a lot of the coverage of Dan Quinn in Broncos country right now is just excusing and or ignoring the red flags. And there's a lot of them like I, and I can't get over that. And to me, uh, just to, just to, you know, not to go on this long rant, but the Falcons blew 14 fourth quarter leads while Dan Quinn was the head coach. They never finished above 17th in DVOA. So, and then you look at the offense, and again, the big question about Fangio was the offense was never good enough. Well, after Kyle Shanahan left, Dan Quinn's offense with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, they were never good enough, and they had a lot of talent.
1: Yeah. Well, here's here's a, well, to, a little bit of a. The, the first year with Sark, the offense was a little shaky. The second year, in the second year, they improved across the board. Their DVOA jumped, their scoring jumped. So, like, the, the first year with Sark, they struggled in the red zone. It got fixed his second year. Then they fired him. Every single year, Dan Quinn was there. The offense was better than the defense. Every single year. Every single year was better. And they blew all those games with, with Matt Ryan. Like, Vic Fangio said, "Like I've never had a good quarterback. He's like, look at the rest of the division. I've not had that. Dan Quinn had Matt Ryan, right? He had the, and and he that, had the best that quarterback
2: me... in the NFC South for a big stretch there. Right, yeah. Well, unless what, you know, outside of Drew Brees, outside of Drew Brees, I want outside out. of Drew Brees. Yeah.
1: But to me, like a lot of the things, like like I've seen several people blame the blown leads on the offensive coordinators. Well, a that's not true because they had a lead at some point, so the offense worked. B he can't be that had numerous like penalties and gaffes. So that's obviously some of it is on the head coach and see if that's the case, then you're telling me that he hired a bunch of offensive coordinators who can't help him win games.
2: My problem, so that, my problem with blaming the offensive coordinators or Matt Ryan or any of this other stuff is why are we blaming everybody but the head coach when it's Dan Quinn, but we exactly. were not doing yeah. that with Fangio. And again, I'm not saying go hire Fangio now. But just the, the circular reasoning for it's the new guy. So all the problems aren't real is such a bullshit way to kind of try and cover this. And so again, like, yeah. this is why I wanted yeah. to have this discussion with you guys, because like, I don't mean to be super negative on Twitter. I blame the character limit. But I think that all these things need to kind of be out there. So we at least are aware of it before. Because again, when the Broncos hire a guy, they're going to only tell us the positives. That's all you're going to hear. Yeah. It's just, when Pat Schirmer was hired, we got to hear about how he had an explosive offense with the Giants.
0: And the Vikings.
1: And yeah. the
2: Vikings.
0: So I just, so just went It was it. so explosive. It was like you know, middle of the pack every. Exactly. Every year. Yeah. Every year. <laughs> I, I, I actually,
1: I think I did a study with uh, George Stoya. I've had reached out to me. I don't know if you guys know George. Yep. Um, I love him. He's he's quickly becoming a close friend of mine. But like he. He had reached out to me about asking stuff about Pat Shermer's offense, and so I went and looked at it historically. And it was like the only time anything involved with him was above average was when Chip Kelly called the place in Philly. Everything else was just was below average in pretty much every category. But and like going back to with the, the Quinn point of like blaming everybody else, the other part is like Joe, like you've you've gotten this comment repeatedly of it's the personnel. It's all about the personnel, and that doesn't add up because Thomas Dimitrov and G in Atlanta drafted a ton of good players. Like, like so many, like Grady Jarrett, Dion Jones, Foye Oluokun, A.J. Terrell, Keanu Neal, DeMonte KZ, like like a lot of key, really good players. It, it, like, to me, every single year, Dan Quinn was in Atlanta. I felt he had better personnel than what Fangio has had in Denver.
2: and. And that's Tays Seth actually looked at this an, uh, analytically, and Dan Quinn, uh, as a head coach, had the worst, like above uh, replacements or uh, wins above replacements as a head coach. He had the lowest. And I also want to say, like when we look at the DVOA numbers, you look at what happened in 2020. The first five games of that year, the Falcons were 0 and five, and they had one of the worst defenses in football. And then Raheem Morris took over. And over the course of the rest of the year, they finished 14th in DVOA. So that really yeah. speaks to me. Of like, and again, I'm not saying he's a bad coach. If they hire him, I, I can see the reasons why you would hire him. He has Super Bowl experience, he's a good person. Like, every, you know, the, the leadership qualities are there. He has the previous experience, but I just think like there are red flags. And yeah. this idea of trying to sell it as, well, we're hiring Dan Quinn and we're going to chase Russell Wilson that might that's not that be that might not be the magic solution that we're going to hear about and that's that's my fear I guess is that we're going to be led kind of down this path and then three years from now we're going to say like what the hell happened
1: yeah well, and I think too. He, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh you go ahead he yeah go ahead go ahead
0: I was just say I think you know the other thing too is Dan Quinn is the is the one guy that sticks out in this list As being a failed head coach and one of the things that we like about the list in general is that it's not chock full of failed head coaches like right like when you look at Vegas and the odds and they've got. um, Oh gosh I forget who all they've thrown in there now but like Denver hadn't requested to interview a lot of those guys, Uh, even like you know Doug Peterson or things like that. Um, And. Denver hasn't gone after those guys. Dan Quinn's the only one. And so I think it's fair to criticize that, right? Like he's the one that sticks out because everybody else doesn't have that um, kind of red flag or bring that quality. Now they all have their own other red flags in terms of experience or is it too soon or anything like that. But it's fair to pick at that as, you know, the big red flag for Quinn because it's a reality.
1: Yeah. And to me, uh, the thing that more or less sticks out to me is that a lot of players that Dimitrov drafted for Atlanta, when they were away from Dan Quinn, they had like career years. Right? Look at look at Devontae Campbell in Green Bay, potentially he was phenomenal. Look at AJ Terrell. AJ Terrell was arguably the second best corner in the NFL this year. Like two years after the Falcons spent a first round pick on him, not even really his second year in the league, he was he played phenomenal. Right. Like there's foye Oluokun just led the league in tackles had almost two hundred tackles in one year. Like that's insane. Like you have a lot of guys who do better away. Like that's that's a little a little alarming for me. And the fact that like they kind of wasted Matt Ryan and Julio Jones's prime blowing a lot of games. Like I, it it there's something about it that doesn't settle right with me. And, and like I I get it that it comes across as, as hating, and I, I certainly understand. I just I don't like hiring, Chad coaches personally. I've never liked it. Even you know people, I some guy got onto me because he was like, "Oh, Andy Reid and Bill Belichick." Were, were bad. I was like, "They didn't fail. Like, like, these guys, they weren't failed coaches. Andy Reid won six freaking went to six conference championships with Philly, right? He didn't fail."
2: the other part um, of that is too, like, cause people I've done, people have done that to me too. The bell, Belichick, the Shanahan, stuff like that. None of them had a Matt Ryan. No. And, and, like, cut Kosar. and some of the coverage in Denver is trying to paint Matt Ryan. Well, he isn't that good. It's like, dude, Matt Ryan, <laughs> for that five-year run where he was with Quinn he was a top 10 quarterback by just about every statistical measure that matters and he's still pretty damn good yeah and again I don't want to just go
0: he was an MVP it was like nobody he was a sleeper like MVP numbers he was putting up I think it was either two years ago or the year before that I forget but it was it was 2018 with Sark. yeah he he, he had
1: it was just great numbers and 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 like that's that's the thing is like Fangio didn't have, doesn't have Matt Ryan. I bet you, if he did have Matt Ryan, he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be out, right? It's like at least he had top ten defenses consistently. Dan Quinn's teams had just numerous, numerous gaffes that led to blown leads. I mean, we all saw the onside kick against Dallas. Everybody saw. I mean, like, you, everybody saw twenty eighty three. Like, I, I, personally think if you become a me you should be hired. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is is when, when you are become a meme. Like I don't want you as my head coach candidate. Like, unless it's a good funny meme, obviously. But like everybody says twenty eight to three, it's synonymous with Dan Quinn. Like you can't you can't escape that. And I think that plagued him through a lot of his career. Because fourteen blown leads is a difference between fifty seven and twenty three, and a Super Bowl win versus being fired
0: five games into your last season. And well, I think. I think there is maybe something to that. And and again, not to, there's probably a a Broncos, you know, there's probably going to be a Broncos fan make this excuse at some point. So I might as well do it and get ahead of it. Right. Is I think you could probably make the argument because it happened in Atlanta. And like, after that, like they were never the same after that fiasco. Right. And I think just culturally, you know, like whether you're superstitious or whatever you want to call it, like anybody who experienced that it's just so hard to, I mean, that's, that's the reason why Super Bowl losing teams rarely come back and make the playoffs and, you know, repeat again. It, and, you know, they'll typically nosedive is it's just so hard to get that monkey off your back and to lose in such colossal fashion, it, you know, for them to continue that streak, it almost becomes a like, okay, here we go again. This is who and we so, are. you know, not to excuse it at all, but like, I think there is something to be said about just like wiping the slate clean and kind of putting all that behind you and starting afresh on a new team because like once you get that moniker and once you get that in your head and culturally kind of start that, it's really hard to shake off and I feel like the Falcons just as a organization could never shake that twenty eight and three over the lap you know the next couple of years, and whether that's a Dan Quinn thing or whether that's just an overarching organizational thing, I think you know that's an interesting dynamic,
1: yeah. I think, I think that's, that's certainly
0: a good point. You definitely,
1: uh, that you just don't know, right. You don't know with, with that kind of thing because psychologically it could be the monkey on their backs.
2: So to me, and again, I don't want to just, I don't want to hate on Dan Quinn for, you know, 45 minutes. Uh, but, but well, I just, I want to bring this up because again, I'm open to him being the head coach. Um, I, and again, I think all of us are. I have concerns. I I feel like they're not being covered properly, which is why I think like I want, I need it's cathartic, cathartic for me to talk about this. because I want to air this out because for me, the big concerns I have with Quinn are if we're, if we fired Fangio because offense and game management, I don't necessarily know that Quinn is actually an upgrade. And then the whole idea of the process makes me kind of, kind of anxious because Quinn has been on the radar since at least October. So it's like, is this just preordained? And and again, like the idea that they're interviewing 10 candidates to me suggests that that's not the case, but it is a concern uh, just because I do want the Broncos to, to go into this whole process with as open of a mind as they can, because that's how the Steelers found Mike Tomlin. They were not going to hire Mike Tomlin and they blew them away in an interview and they did.
0: Well, and to be fair too, like this is the time to be as open as possible because we just talked about you know, the entire roster, like the roster is set to be remade. Denver has five top three or, you know, top three rounds um, draft picks. Right. And they have a really good salary cap situation. They have a new GM and George Payton they are about to get new ownership. Like this is not the time to get a, a bridge guy or a guy that you're comfortable. And I would say that for quarterback, I would say that for head coach you know, like this is the time to start afresh and say, you know, really explore what do we want to be? How do we, you know, let's go through the due diligence to do this um, because you're probably not going to get another shot like this in, you know, hopefully in a couple years. Right. Yeah.
2: So kind of moving from Quinn, because I think all of us have talked a little bit about Quinn because the next thing I think a lot of people listening are going to say then is, well, if you're going to just shit on Quinn, who do you actually want the Broncos to hire? Um, and, and I, I want to wait, I want to let, I, I'm going into this with as open of a mind as possible. I do have two candidates that I like, but I want to hear what you guys think first. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to get out ahead of it. Uh, so Jeff, who, who do you hope the Broncos hire?
0: Yeah. So I don't have like a clear in away candidate yet. Honestly, I'm still need, I want to dig into the tape on some of these guys and, you know, Same. um, do a little bit more digging on what they, you know, what they're actually about. Um, I like Callahan just on on paper in terms of his connection to the Broncos and his connection to Peyton Manning. You know, I, I like his connection to the Broncos and he was there during the Super Bowl days um, in 2015, and you know, had the connection to Peyton Manning. Obviously, what he's done with the Bengals offense has been really impressive. So I like that. I like the Packers guys just because if there is a shot of you know if Denver wants to make a pass at Aaron Rodgers, you've got that connection there. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. And I like the fact that, you know, I like what they've done over there in Green Bay as well. And so I will say, you know, for as big of a Cowboys fan as I am, I don't think it's time yet for Kellen Moore. Um, That's been offense. interesting
2: to me just because everybody outside of Dallas is really high on Moore. But everybody I've talked to around, like who really watched Dallas, say what you have said. So I, I kind of want to know what you think about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's shown inconsistency and in still trying to find his footing as a play caller and as an offensive coordinator, and he's still really young. I mean, he he jumped really quickly into the ranks of offensive coordinator, and I think it was a good move, but I think it could potentially be another advanced Joseph type situation where they move him up the ladder way too soon, um, you know, going from uh, – position coach to coordinator to head coach right away and then in more situation you know he's coming right from player to position coach to coordinator to head coach and so I'd like to see him stay there for a little bit longer and kind of get his footing a little bit more um, and think it would be a little bit too soon for him to come over to Denver you know it, for him to come over and be the offensive coordinator in Denver great but I don't think he would do that right like he wants the head coaching um, yeah. job and so that's where I'm at with him I think the other guys you know I could go either way i think the enemy is talented as he is i don't think he's um he would get the head coaching job same um and then the other guys i need to do a little bit more digging into specifically on the defensive side because i haven't done as as much i don't know as much off the top of my head on guys like gannon or or glenn or things like that that's
2: fair where do you land on it aj who do you prefer for the broncos because you have the perspective of being you're you're a neutral uh, observer in this like if the broncos suck next year you don't have to like be emotionally tied to them being an idiot.
1: It'll make my job a little harder. Uh, no, but but um, my my one hundred and one this whole time has been Nathaniel Hackett. I I think Hackett is exactly what George Payton said he wanted. He checked off pretty much every box. He has that tie to Aaron Rodgers, if you want to. But I think it's I think it's kind of bad process to hire a coach specifically with that in mind. What I like about Hackett is he has previous experience with a lot of different quarterbacks. I mean, it, it, bad quarterbacks and getting good results out of them. And being able to tailor the offense to different personnel, like the kind of an underrated thing with his ability in Jacksonville was like he wasn't just focused on running the ball with Leonard Fournette, right? Like it was it was spreading it out, getting at different concepts, making sure that the offense flowed really well. And it wasn't just tied to one specific player carrying the load. Right, because we've we've seen a lot of coordinators kind of use that to springboard themselves, but it was it was a tale of really the offense being effective throughout everything. And then, and you look at him tailoring offenses everywhere. I think that says a lot about who he is as a coach and the way that he's willing to listen and adapt and is a players player oriented. That to me says a lot um and like his high energy the way that everybody raves just constantly about who he is as a coach about his leadership what he's done for the Packers offense like they he runs he calls the red zone offense he does a lot of the red zone duties they were number one in the country last year Denver was horrible in the red zone undersharker just dreadful every year I I would be I, I don't have I don't remember what they exactly finished this year but I bet you it was bottom, bottom like bottom twenty six to thirty two in the red zone. It just no doubt. And and Hackett has had they were first last year, and I think six. They think they finished the regular season six this year. Um, and like every year, he's everywhere he's gone, he's had proven success, right? And that that says a lot about him. I also I like Kellen Moore from what I've seen in the fact that. Last year, when he didn't have Dak Prescott, he had to go through the, you know, Andy Dalton, who's bad. We all know Andy Dalton is, is bad. And then he had, like, Garrett Gilbert, Ben DiNucci, at quarterback. And they were still able to at least somewhat move the ball through the air. Right? Like, he, everywhere he's gone and every time he's called plays, the offense has been a huge part of that, that team. Like, his first year, the offense moved the ball with ease. It was just the defense was so bad that you know they, they didn't win a ton of games. And then the next year Dak Prescott gets hurt. So he doesn't have that. And the defense, like with Mike Nolan, what happened with Mike Nolan was they overcomplicated things way too quickly to start. And I think to credit credits to Dan Quinn on this one was he simplified a lot. And he came in with this approach of this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this this really well. And then from there, we're going to kind of branch out. And like he built it fundamentally. Uh, Mike Nolan just threw everything at them, and then they struggled with the injuries and everything like that in 2020. Uh, so credit to both of those guys for kind of adapting. But like, I, I like Killam more. I think he's his youth is there. But I I think from a resume standpoint, if you want an offense and a guy who can coach a quarterback, I mean he's been de- he's been developing and working with Dak Prescott since he was a rookie and Dak has become a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Like That that says a lot to me about Kellen Moore and his ability to develop. I don't like Gannon. I don't like Gannon. I don't think the enemy will get it just because of everything in his past. But I don't like Gannon solely because of the fact that he's too connected to this previous staff with Denver. Right? He's like him and Tom McMahon coached with Petrino together. He worked with Pat Shermer twice in Minnesota and and in uh, with the Rams. He's Mike Munchak hired him in Tennessee, right? Like, there's a lot of not. I don't want to. If I say concerning, that's not right. But like, there's a lot of. He's a little too tied. There's too much buddy now type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, The enemy, I just. I, I think his his legal history and, and his history in Colorado specifically. I think I don't. The only reason why they interviewed him was to get intel on the Chiefs.
2: I and I want to say that I, if you if you eliminate that aspect of it, I know obviously you can't. If you eliminate that aspect of it, I do think Bienemy is a very strong candidate just because look at what he's done with the Chiefs. And I know he's not the play caller, but he is a key part in their game plan and stuff like that. But I again, I just think the off-field stuff, it, it would need to be properly vetted. The fact that it's in Colorado means it is very close to home. So if you miss on any of that stuff, it's a minefield. And I don't think the Broncos want to be the Lions with Matt Patricia two months into their hire. They all of a sudden have a bombshell dropped on him and you have to deal with that for his entire tenure. I just, and again, I don't know, if, you know, I don't know the validity, validity of all of it. Um, I'm not in that realm of, you know, trying to dig up dirt on coaches. Uh, but the fact that it's out there is alarming to me. And I, I, I have a hard time believing that Peyton would not be aware of it. So that's it's, where I'm at with the enemy.
1: Yeah. It's pretty storied. There's yeah. A lot. There's there is a, a lot. lot. Um, to me, the, the other, the other name that I was, I was surprised to see pop up. Was Kevin O'Connell. I I was surprised to see Kevin O'Connell. Uh, pop up, now, he could be a potential offensive coordinator, but he McVeigh blocked him from working under Staley last year, and so that, that's a little tricky. But like, I think the fact that he kind of came up, um, really quickly and he's had a proven track record of development with quarterbacks specifically everywhere, I think that's that's an interesting and he's connected to McVeigh to that. And the, we've always seen the McVeigh tree be very successful across the board. Uh, I, I I, really, I think that's, kind. Of, I wouldn't say a dark horse, because that makes people think that I think he has a shot at the job. But I think it's kind of a, okay, they're doing their due diligence on a lot of people. And that's interesting to me.
2: So let me let me kind of center on that. Uh, with 10 candidates, and, and you and I talked about this you know, in the, week in the week leading up to us recording right now, like you and I have talked about this a few times, AJ, I don't think every candidate is realistically in the running for head coach. I think some of these guys are probably interviewing with an eye towards down the road, if they get fired or if they're available or potentially a coordinator for whoever you do hire or like the enemy, I do agree with you. I think a lot of it is trying to find out like the process behind the chiefs as much as you can. Um, and again, like maybe he blows them away and they feel comfortable with all the stuff that you and I are concerned about. Uh, but, but I do think that like, realistically, the 10 candidates probably looks more like six.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, Albright had tweeted today, head coach, Dan Quinn, offensive coordinator, Luke Getzey, and they had interviewed Getzey. Um, so that, yeah, I think, I think you're onto something that the interviewing guys should be coordinators. Again, he just kind of set that out as a trial balloon, in my mind. Um, so, I, but I think I, I think a lot of these guys, especially because especially they're looking at young guys, I think you're on the right track.
0: Uh, and the, other, well, it the probably, other, it potentially makes sense too when you look at they're interviewing Gerard Mayo who's at least, you know, in my understanding, I'm not sure exactly his role with the Patriots, but he's a linebacker's coach, right? And so, yeah. you know, maybe that's your defensive coordinator as well. Those are the only ones that make sense in terms of it being a big enough upgrade of a move for them to come over because nobody really wants to come over for a lateral move necessarily.
1: Yeah. And, and if they do hire, say, say the hire is Quinn, the fact that they're doing a lot of diligence on some younger candidates just kind of tells me a little bit that if something happens with one of the guys that they hire, kind of like what happened with Quinn and Shanahan, if he leaves to be a head coach somewhere else, they've got a lot of research on some other offensive minded player or coaches, excuse me, or defensive. It just kind of, you know, depends. But I think that the way that they're handling this process, I think is really good. If, if it truly is as open as they say it is, and they're not just like, eh, it's, Dan Quinn,
2: we're kind of going through the motions. So, and I want to kind of, you know, center back to, so I have two candidates that I really like. I, again, I'm trying to keep an open mind to anybody just because, again, I think all the candidates, if you look at them, they all make sense. This isn't like Elway before where he's interviewing the, you know, I I just, some of the Elway interviews over the years kind of left you scratching your head. I don't want to, you know, single anybody out, but I definitely, I don't feel that way with this search. Um, but again, I, I've looked at NFL history enough to know that typically it makes more sense to hire an offensive guy. I know that background is not everything, but year to year offense is more stable, uh, in terms of production. So it makes sense to have a guy in place to keep the system stable. Um, otherwise you have a situation where if your head coach is a defensive guy, the offensive coordinator has a good year. He is probably going to leave as a head coach. And then you're scrambling to find another offensive coordinator. And unless you have a system in place where you guys, you're, you're developing coaches to take over. And this is one of those things where Mike Vrabel is very good, honestly. But unless you have that kind of situation in place, you're going to have year to year instability on offense. And that really fucks you. Um, uh, you can look around the league. That tip- that typically happens. Uh, so for me, I really like Nathaniel Hackett for a lot of the reasons you said, uh, AJ. Um even beyond the Rodgers, obviously the Rodgers stuff is important. Um I think you can't, you know, we can't ignore it. But I don't think that's why you interview him. But I do think that when Rodgers was asked about it on the McAfee show, he basically said that it's overdue and he credited Hackett's role in Jacksonville's push for the AFC championship a couple, you know, a while back now, 2017, but he called it magical. Um and again, if you guys remember, Blake Bortles was actually on the Packers roster at one point. So I think Rodgers knows what Hackett was doing, squeezing blood out of that stone. Um, but the other part of this is like, that does not guarantee if the Broncos do hire Hackett, I don't think that guarantees that Aaron Rodgers is coming. Same with Getzee. I know it'll be sold that way. I know a lot of fans will get excited for that reason, but Aaron Rodgers also said, I'm a cafe. No one in my inner circle is talking to the media. No one that I trust and care about and have conversations with is talking to any media member. They're not going to leak anything. So, we can't count on aaron rodgers coming we can't count on russell wilson coming beyond that though i really like what hackett did squeezing blood out of the stone with Blake bortles they uh they were 13th in uh red zone dvoa uh in 2017 they were 6th in 2006 like that really speaks to what he's able to do with limited quarterbacks in the red zone he's already served as an offensive coordinator three times so he is experienced Uh, Doug Marone thought enough of him that when Doug Marone was fired from Buffalo, he brought Hackett with him down to Jacksonville. Like that, again, he's worked with EJ Manuel, Blake Bortles, and Aaron Rodgers. Like he's worked with the whole spectrum of quarterback play, really. Uh, So I like him a lot. The other one for me is I'm, and again, I know that this is a, you know, me, me and you are on different wavelengths with this. Uh, Jeff, I like Kellen Moore just for a lot of actually the reasons that you're, you're pointing to, I know he's in, I know he's young, but for me, it's like, if the Broncos are not going to land an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson, they are probably going to take their lumps this year. Like realistically, if you're not finding a quarterback, that's a top guy, free agency looks abysmal. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton are the best free agent quarterbacks. Uh, The trade market is looking like Baker Mayfield. Maybe. Kirk Cousins maybe, Jimmy Garoppolo maybe, and I personally don't really want to trade real draft assets for any of those guys. Uh, I mean Baker Mayfield, you can convince me that maybe you know a low round shot, maybe he figures it out, but I'm not you know super optimistic. So for me, it's like if you go with Kellen Moore and you can't get one of the top quarterbacks, he's young enough that he can kind of figure it out while he's trying to develop either Drew Lock and a veteran, or you draft a guy and pray to God if it happens. So like, I, I like that um because he'll give you that stability year to year with your system. And then hopefully he improves right as the roster's improving.
1: Yeah, I think, I think Moore's credit of building and off building, uh, having at least some semblance of quarterback play uh, from Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert last year. And, and the fact that he has been side by side, step by step, with Dak Prescott. He has overhauled Dak Prescott's mechanics in a lot of ways. Like he knows how to develop a guy. I mean, Dak Prescott was a fourth round pick. He's a great fourth round pick. I I will always take pride in the fact that I had it graded a lot higher than that. Um, but like, yeah, he's not he, he's not designed to develop into the starter, right? Like. Fourth-round picks rarely do. But he comes in and he's ascended quickly. To me, I think he's a top-five quarterback in the NFL. I think when you look at how sharp he is processing the game, I think you have to credit some of that to kill him more. You know, obviously, guys are wired differently, so he's not going to be perfect everywhere. But I, I just think when you look at he's young and he's already developed that good of a quarterback, I think that has to play a, play a part in their minds.
0: Yeah, the one thing I would say about that, and you know, just as a, um, just to be the, the Debbie Downer in the room on on Kellen Moore is to me that those are all things that make him a great offensive coordinator. Yeah, I don't know that that translates necessarily to him being a great head coach, right? And I think the right. the issue we saw that issue with Fangio, right? Is he was a great coordinator. He he coached a great defense, and he could turn you know anything into to gold on the defensive side of the ball. And so he ended up becoming a coordinator in a head coach role. And I think that's that's what I worry about with Kellen Moore is that people will fall in love with his offensive traits. I mean, ideally as a quarterback or as a coordinator, or excuse me, as a head coach, he's not doing those coordinator duties, right? He's not working with the quarterback one-on-one because he has this whole other purview of responsibilities. And so I think like pulling in a guy, expecting him to have that same level of detail to a certain side of the ball is almost setting them up for failure, and that's why you do want a guy like, a, you know, more like a game, you know, an overarching manager type for the head coach. Uh, potentially, is the way that George Payton's looking at it. That's true. That's a very good point. Yeah,
1: definitely,
2: definitely fair. Um, so I guess let's put a, you know, put a stick in that just for now, just because again, like we're we have some time. I don't, you know, the Broncos are interviewing a lot of these guys next week because of the wild card round anyway. I want to look at least briefly beyond the head coach, beyond the owner. What are your biggest concerns with the Broncos going into this off season? And I know that's, that's really hard to really put, you know, focus on because those two things are going to change a lot of stuff, but like what, what looks like big concerns or big questions kind of hanging over the Broncos roster.
0: I think we've talked about a little bit here, right already is. Um, I mean, a quarterback's got to be the number one, right? That's the, that's the biggest concern across the board. And I think process and just plan going forward, it would be my thing. And it's just a reiteration, I think, of what we've talked because those are the most important things. But like having a very clear, whether that's archetype or, or very clear you know, coordination between the coaches and George Payton on what you're looking for when you're going into a draft what you're going, you know, how you're going to build this team, what's going to be our identity, because I think this is the time that you have the opportunity to do that and to form that, and we haven't done that in the past. I think Denver has been extremely cliche about their identity, or they've been just like too broad, it means nothing, or realistically, they've been trying to replicate over and over the 2015 defense, you know, the 2015 Broncos, which is an absolutely losing strategy. And I'll go to the grave saying that, and I've said that on this podcast, you know, a million times is trying to replicate the 2015 season is a, you know, absolute losing proposition. And we've seen that play out over the last several years. Right. And so I think that's my biggest concern is that we haven't other than Peyton's coming out and saying, okay, we want leadership and we need to have you know an offensive plan. I think, I, I want to see some type of cohesion in, in a cohesive plan to here's how we get to the next step. And here's what we're going to do um, to build up because Denver has just been in this little, you know, middle ground of not quite good enough, but they haven't been top pick in the league and they've just been kind of floundering around and no clear planet quarterback.
1: Yeah. I think for me, obviously the, I, I think the, the biggest hole is in the trenches I think too often Denver got out-muscled up front. I think, I mean, every time, like with, on the defensive side, I just think of the the Eagles just absolutely blasting them on the ground every single time. It it was, and like the Steelers' offensive line was bad all season and still had a solid game against the Broncos' front. Um, that, That, to me, really, really worries me. And then on the offensive line, like the right tackle spot, they have to fix it. Like you can't just keep signing journeymen to to fill it. Uh, I've been saying this.
2: Of, I've been saying this for three years now, and they keep proving me wrong. Yeah, so
1: they keep doing it right. Like they, um, In terms of like a one year, like okay, if we need a guy like Bobby Massey's great. Guys like Bobby Massey is fine, but you need a long term plan. Like you just have to have it. I mean, you look at teams that. Are successful this year. They've got their tackle situation sorted out. Um, like to me, I think that is a concern. I would like to see them fix or at least figure out who the center is going to be next year. Uh, whether that's Quinn Miners, whether it's Lloyd Cushionberry. I'd like to see them just get a fair shake at competing for it without any. You know, it's like we're getting a new staff. This is your shot to go get it. You know, I, I think the I think the previous staff was too tied to Berry. I think Quinn Miners would have been a better fit from day one, truth be told, but I think they need to fix the right tackle spot, that spot, try and figure out what we wrong with Dalton Reisner, and then pass rush. Build a pass rush, build a run defense. Like, a Fangio defense is always going to be a little suspect against the run, but they design. were just... Yeah. yeah, but they were just really bad. Um, whether, you know, I, I know they've dealt with a couple of nagging injuries. Um, I even think Purcell was in, was hurt too. Yeah, his hand. Um, yeah, so like they dealt with a few nagging injuries. And, um, but I, I think when you look at a lot of the key pieces they have, I think they've got their linebacker room sorted out. We've got the linebacker room. I think they've got their safety room figured out too. Um, corners, I, I think when you look at Sertan and Darby, I think those are your outside corners. Go for next year. Um, obviously, you know, We'll kind of see what they do with Callahan. I think I don't think they'll bring back Kyle Fuller, uh, but I think if you have Callahan and you and you draft another corner who's got some like inside outside versatility to either be like your dime or just kind of be a rotational. Oh, you know, if, if Callahan gets hurt, we can do this. Uh, we, we we have a guy ready. I think I think corner can can be like a real strength. I, I know we all said it was going to be. This year, and that didn't quite pan out. But I think if you have young guys and with a, a new fresh and the way Sertan is playing, I think I think the defensive back from your linebackers to your corners and safeties can really be a strength of the team next year. Um, they just got to improve up front on both sides, to me, because I think they've got wide receivers. And I think I think with Fant and, o, and Albert O, the tight end room is fine. Um, running backs, it, we'll see what they do with Melvin Gordon. And all, but obviously quarterback remains the number one concern on offense and it will until okay well scheme remains a number one concern no matter who they have at quarterback but number, it's definitely quarterback is up there yeah
2: yeah i think you guys kind of hit it out of the park i don't think i can really add a whole lot to it uh i think the the three biggest needs as far as i'm looking at it is obviously quarterbacks number one I think after that just because of the fact that you may very well be taking a young quarterback i think you have to get right tackle at least at least something in place for long term i agree with you this is why for two years now i've been very vocal about the fact that the broncos i feel like they screwed up by not taking a tackle in last year's draft and i feel like they screwed up taking not taking a tackle in 2020 just because offensive linemen typically take two to three years to really get their like get their feet under them and have success in the nfl Well, if the Broncos would have taken a tackle in 2020, this would be the year where we're saying, hey, this is where he's going to probably break out and look good. Instead, we're saying, well, we have to draft a guy now. So I don't like that. And I think that that was a really big mistake by Elway and Peyton. Um, And then, like you said, I think pass rusher. On defense, if you don't figure out what you're doing with the pass rush, the decline from Fangio to whoever you have coordinating the defense next year is going to be very drastic just because – Again, like I, I know we've already said it, but Fangio really made a lot of magic happen, generating a pass rush this year. And I don't think fans really understand. Malik Reed was bad for most of the year, and I like Malik Reed, but he was bad for most of the season. Bradley Chubb, when he played, did not look like Bradley Chubb. Um, all year, the only real consistent pass rusher all season was Draymond Jones. And you can't have a pass rush that consists of one player.
1: Yeah, and even and even then, when it's it. They'd have to get rookie. I mean, unless they went big and spent on free agency, which, I mean, they still could. They have plenty of room to do so. But if they're trying to figure out a quarterback to fit in with those plans and they can't go, you know, just crazy with spending on a pass rusher, you draft a rookie and you're drafting ninth overall. So you're not going to get Thibodeau, right? You're not going to get the best pass rusher. David Adjabo! Yeah. The, you can get a job I love job. They answer. can get Corleone. Right. But, like, you're still dealing with rookie pass rushers. Yeah. At, at least one spot, whether he's your number one or your number two, you're dealing with a rookie. So, like, he'll, he'll still take some time to develop. Obviously, I mean, you're not going to get a Nick Bosa who's just ready to go right away. Uh, but I, I think that the Broncos are set up to succeed if they fix a couple of key spots. But the pass rush, to me, just... You're right. Absolutely, it has to be better.
2: So I think I think we all agree on this. I think if the Broncos have as have a good off season, if they figure out at least something resembling competency at quarterback, I think they can be in the thick of things next year. If they get a good quarterback, I think they're in the playoff hunt. But but if they do like bear line what we kind of expected from last year this year, and find a Teddy Bridgewater esque type of player who can stay healthy. I think they could at least compete in most of the games, but there's so much uncertainty. They could also, if they screw around and mess it all up, they could be a bottom dweller next year. And I think that's possible. Um, I hope not, but I do think it is possible. And I think we have to kind of be prepared for that possibility. Um, so it's been fun guys. I want to say that we tried to be as honest as we could about, you know, good, bad, ugly. Um, hopefully, you know, dear listener, you understand that that's where we're coming from with this. Um, and yeah, thanks for joining me guys. AJ, thank you, Jeff. Thanks. for It was nice seeing you again. Nice talking to you again. Uh, listeners, if you guys do not follow these guys on Twitter, go do it. Uh, Jeff is at Jeffrey Essery. AJ is at AJ Draft Scout. Uh, go follow them. And yeah, go Broncos.
0: It was a blast. Appreciate it, man. Yeah.